Blog Talk Radio. From the Carolinas to the world via the World Wide Web, this is Redeeming Truth Radio, and this is your host for the next 30 minutes as we seek to take an expedition for truth, yours truly, Pastor Brian Chilton. And hope you're doing well wherever you are. Uh, here in the Carolinas, uh, we had a uh, have a blanket of snow. Uh, I'm actually looking out the window right now, and we have... Um, a lot of snow. <laughs> it's not as much as uh, some of you uh, who are uh, maybe up in the northeast and midwest uh, or even in parts out west may receive, but I'd say we have a good, at least a good solid four inches or more, and uh, they're calling for, I believe, some sleet and freezing rain later in the day, so fun, fun, fun. Uh, I was telling my dad the other day that... Uh, you know, whenever I was younger, I uh, was really hot-natured. You know, it, it took a lot to get me, uh, it took a lot to keep me cool. I was hot, real hot-natured. Now, I'm the opposite way. Anytime cold comes in, snow comes in, it takes me a lot to warm up anymore. Uh, so, it's funny because uh, my wife and I were exactly opposite when we first met. I was hot-natured, she was cold-natured. Now it seems like it's uh, reversed. The opposite is true now. But anyhow, I uh, hope you're doing well wherever you are. Happy, late, belated Valentine's Day to you. Hope you and your significant other uh, are doing well. And uh, for those of you who may be bachelors, well, happy Valentine's Day to you as well, too. Um, Yesterday, I brought a message which I was hoping to get it on the podcast yesterday. Didn't quite make it in time, but uh, we'll do so tomorrow. Uh, posted a message on the omnipotence of God and what that means pertaining to the love of God as well. And uh, that's one thing I reminded everybody is that, you know, God has the power to do all things. He loves us with an everlasting love. So even if you're a single person, understand God's with you. That's what we're going to talk about next week in the next week's message about the omnipresence of God as I'm going through a uh, series on the attributes of God. We're talking about the omnipresence of God and the fact that you're never alone. God is always with you. He is always there for you. And that's something we need to remember. Today on our podcast, uh, we want to look at the conclusion of an what's become an eight-week series, an eight-week series on the on the the website at Bellator Christie, and that's found at pastorbrianchilton.wordpress.com. Um, and I want to tell you that this all came about due to. Um, a thing that is growing, a problem that's growing in uh, our modern times, especially among um, atheists and skeptics, and 
excuse me, and it's a, a thing called Jesus mythicism. And that is to say that there are individuals out there who purport that Jesus was a myth, that he really didn't exist, that he was just simply a myth of some sort, uh, an invention of the New, Te New Testament times. And really, to me, I think that is absolutely flabbergasting, and I think you have to really <clears throat> be ignorant to the historical method to claim such a thing. And so, over the past eight weeks, I have on the on the website I've posted uh, eight articles pertaining to an examination of Jesus of Nazareth by the historical method. And I want to go through and uh, show you some things that I've discovered. There's no way that on this brief 30-minute sh show that I'm going to be able to go through everything that I've covered over the past, well, what's become a two-month project. There's just no way. But uh, I'm going to look through some of the things, and then I want to come down especially to today's article, hasn't posted yet. So if you're listening to the live show, you're listening to this information, you're getting this information before it's even coming on the website. And of course, I'm not going to be able to cover everything that, uh, that's, that's on the website. So go check out the article uh, nonetheless. But anyhow, um, I want to just give a breakdown of this project. And I want to tell you that I am now more than ever before convinced, even more so than I was before I started this project, I am more convinced than ever that Jesus was not only a person of history, but also that he rose literally from the dead on that first Easter Sunday. So before I get into this, I want to show you uh, part of the reason why uh, that I have undertaken this campaign that I have for two weeks, this project for two weeks. And I want to play right now a video for you. Actually, it'll be an audio uh, due to it being an audio podcast. But anyhow, I want, you, I want to play you a clip of an interview at this conference with Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman is a New Testament scholar who teaches at UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, he is an... A a self-proclaimed atheist-leaning agnostic, okay? And he's a New Testament scholar, all right, just so you're aware of that. But anyhow, he is at an atheist conference, and someone asked him the question about whether Jesus was really a person of history, and this is what he has to say. Let's listen right now.
who teaches classics, ancient history, New Testament, early Christianity, any related field who doubts that Jesus existed. Now, that is not evidence. That is not evidence. Just because everybody thinks so doesn't make it evidence. But if you want to know about the theory of evolution versus the theory of creationism, and every scholar in every reputable institution in the world thinks that believes in evolution, it may not be evidence, but if you've got a different opinion, you better have a pretty good piece of evidence yourself. There, the reason for thinking Jesus exists is because he is abundantly attested in early sources. That's why. And I give the details in my book. Uh, early and independent sources uh, indicate that Jesus, certainly that Jesus existed. One author that we know about knew Jesus' brother and knew Jesus' closest disciple, Peter. He's an eyewitness to both Jesus' closest disciple and his brother. So, I mean, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, again, I, res- I respect your disbelief, but I, I, you know, if you want to go where the evidence goes, I think that, I think that atheists have done themselves a, mis- a disservice by jumping on the bandwagon of mythicism because, frankly, it makes... It makes you look foolish to the outside world. If that's what you're going to believe, you just look foolish. Uh, you, you are much better off going with historical evidence and arguing historically rather than coming up with the theory that Jesus didn't exist. Sorry. Well, you know, obviously he makes some claims there that uh, many of you would disagree with. But uh, overall, I think he's solid in what he says. Uh because there is so much testimony to claim that Jesus never existed is just absolutely foolish, and he's absolutely dead on target. Now, this again, this evidence doesn't prove that he was the Messiah. That's something that you have to take by faith. But I do believe that the evidence is so conclusive that it leads one in that direction. But to make that assumption, to, to make that claim, you you have to go by faith. So, what are some of the things that we looked at this past uh, these past eight weeks? Well, let's just uh, first of all look uh, at one of the tools used by those in um, in history, and that is called multiple sources. Do we have multiple sources? that uh, tell us about uh, Jesus. And yes, we do. We have information that's independent in Matthew's Gospel. We have information that's independent in Mark's Gospel. We have, And Mark uh, wrote, uh, the church was unanimous on this in the early outset of the, of, the Christ, of, Christi- of the Christian faith, that Mark gave the... Um, Mark provided information from Simon Peter, okay? And uh, it's not as um, organized as what you would find in Luke's Gospel, okay? It's not as focused as what you would have in Matthew's Gospel, and it's not as theological as what you would find in John's Gospel, but it's eyewitness testimony there from Simon Peter. We have information from Luke's Gospel that's independent. We have information uh, from Matthew and Luke. Some people popularly call this Q. Now, that is debatable. 
but uh, this is information shared by Matthew and Luke, uh, and this would be early material. The Gospel of John gives information in uh, gives us independent information, pre-Pauline material. This is another project I'm wanting to do here in the not so distant future on the website and uh, talk about here on the podcast as too as well, looking at some of this. Early New Testament material that, that predates the New Testament. What can we know? What can we find out about that? So we'll look at that maybe in a later podcast. But this is inf- information that's independent. Non-Christian sources such as Tacitus, uh, a Roman historian, Jewish historian Josephus, the Talmud, Roman satirist Lucian of Samosota, Mar- Mara Serapion, and so on and so forth. And Clement of Rome, uh, who writes late in the first century, tells us about Jesus. So the evidence, multiple source uh, evidence for Jesus of Nazareth is really quite good. But that's only the first thing we look at as we've done this investigation. We also look at uh, another area, and that is uh, in the second section. Uh, Let me get here to it. And that is enemy attestation. Uh, There we have discovered in this uh, quest that there are individuals who are were enemies of the Christian faith who wrote about Jesus and the early Christian movement. For instance, as we already mentioned, Roman historian Tacitus tells us about Jesus. Jewish historian Josephus tells us about Jesus. The Babylonian Talmud uh, tells us about Jesus. Marabar Serapion tells us about Jesus. Thallus. Uh, there's another thing called the Acts of Pilate that tells us about Jesus. And from that we can know a lot about the historical Jesus. And some of this is uh, information that uh, Bart Ehrman was mentioning in that uh, response that he gave to a particular Jewish, I mean, uh, Jesus mythicist at that uh, conference in which he was at. So that's the second thing we've looked at. The third thing we looked at was um, pertaining to embarrassing admonitions, things that were said that was really kind of embarrassing. For instance, one such um, embarrassing admonition is where Jesus says, is, is documented as saying, that uh, that he doesn't know the timing when he will appear. Only Not even the angels in heaven knows, but only the Father knows. Well, that can be deemed authentic because, because uh, Jesus claimed not to know something. All right, so we list several things in this third uh, post. First, the disciples' inability to understand the message of Jesus uh, was embarrassing to them. Jesus' ignorance of certain events, we already mentioned that, that no one knows the day of the coming of the Son of the Man, only the Father only. Uh, Jesus' fear in facing the cross was embarrassing uh, the cowardice of key leaders was embarrassing. Joseph of Arimathea, him being a member of the Sanhedrin, giving Jesus a proper burial, that was embarrassing. Testimony of women was embarrassing to the early church movement. The doubt of some pertaining to Jesus' resurrection, pertaining to uh, most likely the doubting uh, 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 doubting Thomas, 
was embarrassing. And so there are a lot of things that we find that strengthen the case for the historical Jesus, even within the Bible itself, uh, which is where we find the the most information about Jesus in the Bible. But that being said, that we have to look at the Bible as being uh, historical documents and not just one unified book when we do something like this. Uh, we look also at pre-New Testament traditions, and we open the door here to this. Uh, we find uh, a formulation such as in 1 Corinthians 3, through eight, which is probably one of the most important formulations we find in in the New Testament, uh, where Paul talks about that that uh, he delivered to them the first importance what he received that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures was buried was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter or otherwise known as Cephas and the twelve and so on and so forth. The hymn found in Philippians uh, two six through eleven is uh, very important. Uh, the confession in Romans 10.9 is important. And uh, and just so much more uh, we can talk about there. So that was, uh, that was some information we examined uh, that is historical in nature. It proclaims this. Those, those pre-New Testament traditions date to the earliest church. They predate the writings of of the New Testament text themselves and go all the way back to the um, the earliest church. We also looked at uh, early testimony in early New Testament texts. Uh, we saw that there was a good case for arguing that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all three written uh, before 62 AD because Acts does not record the death of Paul which many scholars believe that he died somewhere around 64 A.D. So that would push Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke being an earlier gospel, uh, most likely using information from Matthew and Mark as well as other traditions, uh, pushing back Matthew and Mark um, even earlier. We also looked at the Galatians, which is perhaps one of the earliest books in the New Testament. James, there's a strong case that James... Uh, is an early manuscript. First Thessalonians is also arguably one of the first um, books written in the New Testament. So we looked at the information that we could obtain from these early New Testament texts. Um, we also see uh, the eyewitness testimony that exists for Jesus. Uh, we provide a case for the Gospels. Uh, I am a traditionalist in regards to the, to believing that Matthew actually wrote Matthew, that John Mark actually wrote the book ascribed to him, given presenting information he received from Simon Peter, that Luke, Dr. Luke, actually wrote the book ascribed to him, and that John the Apostle wrote the fourth gospel. Now, there are some who will disagree with me on this, but I'm a traditionalist because, not just simply because it's more favorable to hold those positions, or to hold this position, but that the internal and external evidence for the four Gospels is, it pleads the case that they were written by the people ascribed to them. 
Now, there are problems, I understand that. But uh, I think we see the internal evidence uh, for these Gospels, the external evidence in that the early church was unanimous in accepting these four Gospels coming from who they were purported to be from. So I think that's a strong case for the historicity of Jesus as well. I think it adds to it. I mean, it's not necessary that you have that, but I think it's uh, it strengthens the case undoubtedly. Also, we looked at the seventh uh, method of historical inquiry, and that is the eyewitness testimony that we find in the Gospels uh, and in other places as well. So we see the testimony of Peter. Uh, we see that in John Mark's Gospel. We see the testimony of John. Uh, even if you're skeptical, the fact that John was held in high esteem by the early church and that it was associated with the apostle, I think it at least strengthens the case that there is an apostolic testimony in the gospel, uh, the fourth gospel. The testimony of Matthew, I think you can argue, is found to some degree in the first gospel. The testimony of the early church, you see in Luke's gospel, maybe even the testimony of Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, can be found in Luke's gospel. I think there's a strong case uh, in saying that. So, that leads us to our last and final article, which we're going to post, I'm going to post... Uh, Probably just as soon as the podcast is over. And that is two additional tests and the conclusion that we find having done this this inquiry, this test, this um, uh, applying Jesus uh, to historical methodology. And so Michael Lacona in his book... Uh, his book, The Resurrection of Jesus, A New Historiographical, histi- <laughs> I can't say it, Historiographical Approach, I probably still massacred that, but even still, he gives two other methods that one uses to test the historicity of a person or an event. Lacona notes that there is what's called the arguments to the best explanation. This method, and I quote, make makes inferences and weigh and weigh hypotheses. Okay, this method make inferences makes inferences and weighs hypotheses according to specific criteria. I think it's supposed to be makes and weighs. Anyhow makes inferences and weighs hypotheses according to specific criteria. In other words, the data is compiled and examined according to a particular hypothesis made by the historian. In this case, we're looking to see whether or not Jesus passes the mustard, whether he passes the test, uh, whether it can be said that he is a person of history. Okay, So the criteria includes... Uh, explanatory scope, explaining the most relevant data according to the hypothesis. Explanatory power, 
looking at, and I quote, the quality of the explanation of the facts, end of quote. Plausibility. How much confidence can a person hold that a certain event took place? For the skeptic, if they're going to be honest historically, they must suspend their skepticism to a degree and allow for the possibility of the miraculous if they are to become unbiased. There's also what's called less ad hoc, covering only what the data suggests without going, I quote, beyond what is already known, end of quote. And illumination. Uh, this is where one piece of data strengthens other areas of, in, of historical inquiry. So, using this, now, let me just say that Lycona came under scrutiny for this work for certain conclusions that he held. And I'm going to just simply say, I, Mike Lycona is a great guy, he is a great historian, he's a great scholar. But I will admit that there were certain conclusions that he held that I myself do not hold. Okay, I think, in my opinion, that uh, he may have been a little too uh, skeptical pertaining to the historical data found in the Gospels. Okay, that's my opinion. I think he may have been a little too skeptical when it comes to portions of Matthew's Gospel. Again, my opinion. But as I've told people, listen, there's some good information in this book, even if you don't agree with all the, conclu the conclusions. In fact, I think that's, a, that's a, a type of maturity that comes from this uh, search for truth. That you may sometimes need to read information from someone that you may not always agree with. In fact, uh, Lycona, Habermas, and many others often read the works of skeptics so that they can challenge the notions of these particular skeptics. So we have to be open to be able to read uh, those works from people that we may not agree with. But let me just say, Lycona is on our side, okay? Uh, I, notice I used Bart Ehrman, and he's no friend to classic Christianity, Michael Lacona is. Now, using this, through this massive 600-plus page work, Lacona, while even being more skeptical than most people probably would, comes to this conclusion using the arguments to the best explanation. And he says, and I quote, I am contending that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the best historical explanation of the relevant historical bedrock, since it fulfills all five of the criteria for the best explanation and outdistances competing hypotheses by a significant margin in their ability to fulfill the same criteria. The historian is warranted in regarding Jesus' resurrection as an event that occurred in the past. So we can, using this information, confer that Jesus' resurrection was a real event and that also, in regards to what we're doing here in our quest, identifying the fact that Jesus himself was and is a historical person. Now, there is, there is one other thing that Lycona mentions, and that's called arguments from statistical inference. 
This method evaluates all the data in question and evaluates the probability that, a, that an event could have happened or could have occurred. If one eliminates the possibility of God's existence and God's involvement in an event, then the odds that a miraculous event occurred or that a miraculous event occurred, goes down dramatically. That's the problem of David Hume and those who follow Humean philosophy. They take out a huge segment of possibilities by automatically dismissing the existence of God. Okay, But now, as Lacona mentions, he says, like, if I were to say that my son could lift 200 pounds over his head, that may seem improbable, unless you add the datum that a bodybuilder was there helping him lift the bar. Now, that makes it far more probable. If you're open to the possibility that God exists and that God may have an invested interest in seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead, then the probability of the resurrection, the probability that Jesus was divine, all of that, the fact that the probability that he was the Messiah, all of that increases dramatically. While this method will always be somewhat subjective, the historian can make an educated synopsis of how historically certain an event is. Uh, C.B. McCulloch uses the following grades, and I like these grades. I like these grades uh, very well. He ranks events as extremely probable if they're anywhere between 100 to 95%. Now, let me give it a little addendum here. Historically, we cannot know with 100% certainty that anything happened. You can't know for 100% certainty that, uh, that what I ate for breakfast, or if I even ate breakfast. You can gather evidence and come with to a good probability, but you can't know with absolute certainty. Okay? And you can't dismiss something with absolute certainty. So we go in by probabilities in this. Extremely probable is, is basically saying something is most certainly historical. And this is uh, giving about a 100 to 95% chance that something took place. Very probable is listed as 95 to 80%. Quite or fairly probable, 80 to 65 percent. More probable than not, 65 to 50 percent. Hardly or scarcely probable is 50 to 35 percent. Fairly improbable is 35 uh, to 20 percent. Very improbable in 20 to 5 percent. And extremely improbable in 5 to 0 percent of cases. So... What can we conclude from our investigation in this? Well, I bring out five things in this article, and I think there are five things that we need to uh, post here. Now, I'm going over the time limit, so if you'd like to call in and listen to the duration of the show, I encourage you to do so. And obviously, if you'd like to call in and discuss these issues, we'll take your call in overtime. And you can call in 323-784-9617. Five things real quickly. First of all, it is extremely probable, this being 195%, that Jesus existed. One can say with over 95% certainty that Jesus existed, okay? Um, 
It is extremely probable that Jesus rose from the dead. The strength of Jesus' existence is coupled with the strength of his resurrection. I would have, I'd also say that it's extremely probable that Jesus' disciples saw him risen from the dead. 95 to 100%. I'd say it's very probable that we have good eyewitness testimony telling us about the life of Jesus. Now, the only reason I bring this down a notch is because of the controversy that surrounds certain areas. In my personal opinion, I think that we could say that this is, this is extremely probable, but to be fair with all the evidence, we'll say very probable. It is extremely improbable Okay, that Jesus mythicists have a leg to stand on. It's very improbable, extremely improbable, zero to five percent, that the Jesus mythicist campaign is has anything to hold in this discussion. Bart Ehrman, as we mentioned before, has confessed that the Jesus mythicist campaign is erroneous. While historical data doesn't prove Jesus to be Messiah. That comes by faith. The data provides solid grounding for accepting such a belief. So, does Jesus of Nazareth pass the historical test? Yes, he does. I would say with an A+. Well, this has been Pastor Brian Chilton. This is Redeeming Truth Radio saying God bless. If we have any telephone calls, we'll take them immediately following this. If not... Again, God's blessings be upon you, and remember, the truth shall set you free.